That prophetic stuff, Johnny, thank you. Because actually to deal with that fear, before I talk about what I'm about to talk about, it's probably not a, not a bad idea at all. So, um, yeah. Um, you're going to need your Bible. You're going to need to go into Psalm 57. We have a slight issue in that I'm going to read from the ESV. So, die, you'll be fine. But... Uh, Probably everybody else has got the NIV. So if you're online and you can find the ESV, go for it. Um, but what's going to hopefully appear behind my head is the NIV. And of course, they're not going to be quite the same. But hey, the Hebrew underneath it is identical. <laughs> if you stop and think about it. My title for tonight is Awakening to Revival. Hence, Awake Arise. Awakening to Revival. And the first thing we need to do, I told you about the Bible, by the way, so that you're ready for when it comes. It's coming in a minute, okay. So, um, the first thing we need to do is recognize our circumstances. I'll be honest, in the middle of this week, I looked at writing the email that comes out on a Friday for me and went, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to write. I've got no idea what to say that's not just repeating myself. Some of you might say I've repeated myself several times in the last 12 months. But hey, I just sense I didn't really have anything to say that was right. And then that letter came from the archbishops. And I've already had somebody come back and say, well, our archbishops are a waste of space. Why are you bothering sending it round? Well, two things. One, our archbishops are not a waste of space, either of them. They're good gospel men. Two... What they wrote was absolutely brilliant. I read it and thought, do you know what? I can't improve on that. Let's just send it out. Actually, no, I'd actually decided not to write anything, hadn't I? And then that arrived and I thought, no, this, actually this will do the job. Because they did in that letter what I'm going to try and do tonight with the scriptures and with the truth about revival. They, they recognized the circumstances. They didn't muck about saying, oh, it's not as bad, or this or that. They said, horrible, isn't it? Isn't this a horrible time? Take time to look at what's happened. 100,000 people, a Wembley Stadium-sized number of people, for those of you who are old enough to remember when Wembley held 100,000. It's gone down. I think the police made it go down, didn't it, because it was, wasn't safe. <clears throat> but that's the number. The biggest football stadium in the country's number of people and not socially distanced, <laughs> packed in tight. And they said, look, look at it. Mourn with those who mourn. Look at the reality. And that's what I want us to do tonight. Is, is just at the beginning, look at the reality. It's pants. You know, we're 10 months in. Well, we're 12 months into the whole virus thing, but we're 10 months into us actually reacting to it, the end of March, you know, and we could blame a load of people. Could the government have done better? Yeah, of course they could. Could the, the population have reacted differently and it not spread as much? Yeah, probably. There's lots of things we could say that say, well, this didn't work and why didn't we do that? We should have done that. We should have shut schools early. We should. Hey, you know, 
here we are. And actually, a lot of us who, during the first lockdown, were fine, because it sort of felt, for some of us, a little bit like a holiday. Didn't have to work, the weather was lovely. Or if we did have to work, it was outside, it would, you know, we could go down to Restore Hope and help, and stuff like that, and it was, and it was fine. And going, taking the dog for a walk was nice. Where now it's wet and horrible and muddy. And actually, even those of us that have been, have been okay during the first lockdown, even, even the November one, because we knew it was only four weeks, this one, <clears throat> we, the lethargy has hit us. And we're tired and we're fed up with it. But we know it's right. And we know we've got to stick to the rules. But we are fed up with it. And actually, we're hearing more about people closer to us who have COVID. Now, our family, I think we're in the position where most of the people we've heard about have recovered. You know? And the awkward thing of people going, Wendy's dad's been in hospital, had an operation, and come out, and the operation's been successful to replace his pacemaker, I've got that right, and he didn't catch COVID while he was in there. Because that's probably the biggest risk. The biggest risk for him at 88, thank you, had to be prompted there. The biggest risk for him at 88 was catching COVID while he was in hospital, not the, not the replacement of the, you know. And we're hearing more about it. We've got family members or uh, extended family members who have got it or have had it or, are, yeah. And we're hearing of people who are dying with it who are a bit closer to us than they were. Now, round here, the figures aren't that bad. We're below national average and all the rest of it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in here. I know you're not in here. You're, you're online. But we wouldn't be in here. If, uh, if our figures were bad, we wouldn't be here. But it, it's just not pleasant at the moment, is it? And the middle of January is depressing enough without all of this going on. But it's in the midst of those circumstances, as the Archbishop said, that there is hope. And they said, but we want to encourage you with hope. And I can imagine a lot of people, non-Christians reading, going, what? What are you talking about? What hope? Oh, the hope of the vaccine. No, that's not what they were talking about. Oh, the hope given by the key workers. Now, they did mention them and say, isn't that fact? You know, haven't the key workers done amazingly? And if those of you online or around, you know, if you're part of the nursing setup or the teaching setup or whatever it is, thank you. But that's still not the hope they were talking about. Bless them to have a letter from the two archbishops that said the hope we're talking about is the resurrection in Jesus Christ and the life that is in in him and the hope that is in him. Hallelujah. You've got church leaders who are stating it. They're both evangelists. One's an evangelical, charismatic. The other one's a high churchman. But boy, is he an evangelist. And I've encountered him many times, and he's, he preaches the gospel. He does church in a weird way, but then he thinks we do church in a weird way, so that's fine. But he preaches the gospel. We need to look at our circumstances. Let's bring it in. Wendy touched on it this morning. 
What about the disappointment of not getting planning permission? I'm going to get to the scripture in a minute, I promise. What about the disappointment? Did you feel disappointed? Imagine what I felt like. Imagine what David Clare felt like. Imagine what Chris felt like. Taken off at the knees. Because everything said it was going to happen. All the reports, all the feedback was so positive. Isn't it fantastic? Don't worry, there's somebody here. I could get up and come have a rant about it, but I won't. I won't ask them to. <laughs> because what happened online was horrendous. What happened in that meeting was the lies that were told are just... And then those lies hit the Bucks Free Press. You do know you're all part of an American evangelical cult, don't you? That's the headline in the Bucks Free Press. We have a word for it, but I'm online, so I'm not going to repeat it. Okay. it. Rubbish, I think, is the closest I can get to it without being really rude. It's just lies. We're surrounded by lies. And actually, we're surrounded by disappointment. How many of you at this time of year cheer yourself up by booking your holiday? In July or August or even September and October. Yeah, yeah, let's book it now, let's book it now. And you spend evenings looking at those things. Well, you can still look at the brochures, can't you? But you can't, I, I wouldn't recommend you book it just yet. The disappointment. There's nothing, what's, what are we looking forward to? Depressed yet? <laughs> yeah but I'm just I'm just being real you know me I'm not a pessimist I'm an optimist I'm, I'm a born optimist I'll always look at the find the right the good thing now I'm, I'm that personality I look at the good thing and I find the good thing for 99% of the time and that 1% of the time I go right down because if I start to be negative I just go <laughs> and I crash and burn at which point, I'm one of those personalities that doesn't need fixing. <laughs> I just need a little wallow, and then I'll be fine. <laughs> but, you know, we're all different. Some of us are negative a lot of the time. It's okay. We're wired differently. As long as we're not going into fear. As long as we're not going into, you know, self-reliance. As long as we're not... Re you, know, you know who the biggest idol is probably right at the moment? The vaccine. <laughs> Because the vaccine's going to save us, isn't it? Well, do you know what? It's going to help. It's going to be really good. But it ain't going to save us. It's only Jesus who can save us. You, the good things get in the way. So let's read this psalm. Psalm 57. Psalm 57. See, that's weird because it's, it's behind me, but it's not in front of me, and I'm looking, and it's, oh, my head hurts. Take, there you go. It takes a while. Be merciful to me. I'm reading from the ESV. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. 
I cry out to you, God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He'll put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul in the midst of lions. I give you the lions. They're not so scary, those, are they? I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp words. Psalmist having a good time. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they've fallen in it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. That's L-Y-R-E, not L-I-A-R. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Verses 1 to 6 in this psalm the psalmist recognizes how rubbish everything is. The Psalms really help us at times like this because Scripture, most of Scripture is revealed from God to us. In the Psalms and the books of wisdom like Job and Proverbs, it's us to God. So David or Asaph or all the others that wrote the Psalms they're standing before God, and it's not what God is saying, so please don't ever build any theology out of the Psalms, but build an understanding of how we interact, interact with God from the Psalms. Because David, the psalmist here, stands and goes, Lord, I know you're good, and I know I'm yours, but this is rubbish. Sound familiar? And because the psalmist says it, you know who else is allowed to say it? We are. Never come across those Christians who are incessantly happy. Nothing ever goes wrong, and even if it does go wrong, it was the, it was the Lord's it was the Lord's will. I met, I, you know, I I missed the train because I've now spoken to five people about Jesus. Isn't it good? No, do you know what? It probably wasn't the Lord's will you missed the train and therefore missed the appointment. But because you missed the train, the Lord has used all circumstances for the good of those who loves him and given you five conversations instead. Don't miss the train. That, you, do you understand what I'm trying to say there? Yeah? But those Christians that are always, oh, it's, always it's the Lord's will. Well, what was meant to be was meant to be. It's Christian fatalism. It's what that God's got a plan pushed too far. Now, God has got a plan, I believe that. And God is sovereign, I believe that. But, you know, but if we miss the train, it might, or the plane, or whatever it is, it's because we've missed the bus or missed the train, not because God wanted us to. And God gives us that free will. And the psalmist here is saying, everything is wrong. 
He's at the beginning. He's he clearly he's coming to God, going, "Help me, please help me. Be merciful to me." Um, for in you my soul takes refuge. He knows that it's only in God he can find that safe place. It's only in God he can feel different. A lot of what we get in the Psalms is is emotions. The psalmist actually expressing. The the psalmist David says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Had God forsaken David? No. Did David feel like God had forsaken him? Yes. Oh, and Jesus uses the same words from the cross. And had God forsaken him? Eh, Theologically, yes, because he'd become sin, but no, because the resurrection was on its way. Hmm. Careful with that one. But, it's still the man, Jesus, going, my God, my God, Dad, what, what's going on? And even in Gethsemane, Dad, can we, do it, can we do this another way? So we're supposed to twist God's arm, are we, in prayer? No. But we're allowed to go to God and go, I don't like this. And let him go, it's going to be all right. Yeah, I know it's going to be horrible. I know it's not going to be comfortable. I know it might hurt. I know it's not going to be easy, but this is the way. Not my will, but yours. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. There's the, there's the God. I know you're in, you're, you're in charge. You're sovereign. He'll send from heaven and save me. He'll put to shame the one who tramples me. Now here it's coming back onto the problem. There's somebody trampling me. God will send out his steadfast love. My soul in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp woods. It's the experience, isn't it? It's the experience of the sharp words and the curses. And the sharpness of everything. You ever been in a work situation where you've admitted you're a Christian? You're allowed to do it if you work for the church. It's fine. You know, it's probably quite a good thing. Um, but, and people have laughed at you. And they don't think they're doing anything horrible, but it, it hits in. Well, somebody once said to me, Oh, I didn't think somebody as intelligent as you would be a Christian. Suggesting all Christians are stupid. No, it was a backhanded compliment, wasn't it? Because he was telling me I was intelligent, but I can't be that intelligent because you've become a Christian. That's just stupid. It's a friend from university I'm not in touch with anymore. But do, do, do you get what I'm saying? And the psalmist is being real. And this is the first thing we need to hear about revival and awakening to revival. We've got to be real. It's no good pretending to revival. There's an element, you know, we, sometimes we talk about faking it to, to make it. You know, we walk in faith into something. And as, uh, if you've been a parent, you know what I mean about faking it to make it. You know, so you don't know what you're doing half the time, but you can just get on with it. Um, but we've got to be real with God. Now, do we want revival? I don't know what you all said at home. I'm assuming everybody online went, yes! But everybody here went, do we want revival? Hallelujah. Do we feel like revival at the moment? Because I've got news for you. Revival is here now. 
But we've got to be real as to how we feel. We've got to be real about where we're at. But revival is here. And we've got to hold those two things in tension. You're allowed to, to hold two things in tension. Come on, I've taught, how many, five years I've been teaching this. Do we have free will or do we, has God got a plan? Yes. They're two, two ideas in tension, but they're both true at the same time. Was Jesus a man or was he God? Yes. Is revival here? Yes. Do we feel like it's here? No. Is it okay to hold those two things together? Yes. Does you feeling it's no mean that it isn't here? Does you, you know, do, do the thousands of people in our parish who don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead change the fact that he did rise from the dead? Just because the majority believe something doesn't mean it's true. We'll think about that with elections at some point. We'll work that one through. But, but it's true. The church for 500 years, seriously, for 500 years, denied the divinity of Christ. Before that 500 years, they believed in the divinity of Christ, and afterwards they did. But for 500 years, a particular group got hold of the papacy, back when there was only one church, and it... 500 years, we were, we were apostate in that sense. We were believing heresy. If you'd been born then, you would have believed it because it was the majority opinion. Doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> a little bit of theological history for you then. If you want to know, you can ask me afterwards. So, verses 1 to 6 show you what's going on. They set a net for my steps, my soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen it themselves. And here is verse 7. Verse 7 is the point at which the psalmist goes, yeah, but. But. I know this is like this, but. Even but God. But God. My heart is steadfast. I don't think, I don't think that the psalmist is going, I 100% believe my heart is steadfast. He's actually going, do you know what? My heart is steadfast. I wish I didn't take my shoes off now because that hurt. My heart is steadfast. And even though he doesn't quite get it, He's been, he's been real with his emotions, but he's got to that point of going, do you know what? I'm going to position myself in the place that is real, that is true. So he's been honest about his emotions, and then he's got to a point and he's saying, it's time to position myself, and this is what needs to happen if we're going to see revival manifest. We p position ourselves going, Lord, I feel rubbish. It's going on, but my heart is steadfast. Now help me, Lord. But my, it's like going, you know, I feel bad, I feel bad. It's really, but I'm open to whatever God wants. And we don't have to be perfectly believing it. We only need faith the size of a mustard seed. We don't need perfect faith to operate in faith. We need faith the size of a mustard seed. 
It's not just a statement of truth in verse 7. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I, the fact he repeats himself, I think, says something to us. He's sort of trying to persuade himself as well. My heart is steadfast. No, God, my heart is steadfast. And I will sing. I will sing and make melody. The first thing when I'm feeling rough and horrible and don't, not nice to be around, the first thing I stop doing is worshipping. And of course it should be the last thing I stop doing. But actually when I stop and go, oh, I haven't listened to any worship, I haven't engaged in any worship for 24 hours, 48 hours, a week, whatever. Right, okay. No, I'm going to engage. And do you know what? When I first put that worship back on, it's the last thing in the world I want to do. And the music is rubbish. Unless it's Johnny's, of course. But do you know what I mean? It's, I don't want to, I, I want to listen, I want to listen to the rock, or I want to listen to some Mozart, or I want to listen to the, some jazz. I don't want to listen to worship. But as soon as I do, when I'm about a song and a half in, I go, and it feels like I could breathe again. Because I'm back engaged. However, however I feel, I'm back engaged. So if we're going to look to revival, we need to be real, but we need to position ourselves according to God's truth. Because if we start, you know, we've got to get that truth. We speak the truth in our head so that it might manifest in our heart so that we make decent choices and therefore stuff happens. Technical phrase on the end there. What do you mean stuff happens? Well, whatever God wants to do. We get up and we read our Bibles. We do stuff. We see healing in ourselves. We see healing in other people. We start to see people come to faith. We start, But it's only as we meditate on the truth so that it gets to our hearts, we position ourselves in that place so that God can fill us. So that God, you know, All the time we're down, and I'm not saying we, we just ignore the fact we're down. We've got to be real. Remember that? But then we position ourselves in the place. Go, okay, Lord, I'm going to take you at your word. And then verse 8, awake my glory. It's great. What does it say in the NIV? Awake my soul. Well, I, I, like, I like that. Awake my glory. My glory, that manifest presence of who I really am. That's what glory means. The manifest, because the glory of God is his manifest presence of who he really is. So, my head that knows the truth is now calling to my soul, to my inner being, to my spiritual being, wake up. Yep. Now the spirit is already alive because we're born again. But my head, in conjunction with my spirit, is now calling to my glory, to the manifest presence of who I actually am. Wake up. Awake my glory, awake my soul, awake my emotions, awake my imagination, awake my creativity, awake my faith, awake what I believe, awake what I think, my psyche, my soul. And we call, 
we can call ourselves awake. And actually, we can call each other awake. You know? Oh, I can't hear God's voice. Yes, you can. I've, if I had a pound for everybody who told me they couldn't hear God's voice and is now operating in a prophetic ministry, I'd be about 50 quid better off. I wouldn't be rich, but it, it's happened a lot. A lot of people can't hear God's voice, can't hear God's voice. Yes, you can. Well, I can only see this. That's not, yes, it is. Oh, and suddenly the confidence comes with faithness comes with it. And suddenly, bang, bang, bang. Oh, we've got somebody who's got the gift of prophecy. Or, or, or are they a prophet? Or where are we going? And, and it's called awake. And it's called awake by the leaders in a church giving um, space for it to happen. But also you call it awake in yourself by doing it more often. And you call this stuff awake in you. So do you, want, do you want to worship? Do you want a fervor in worship? Well, call it awake in yourself. Lord, I want to feel that. I want to feel the emotion. Call it awake then. I want to go beyond head to heart. Okay, Lord, I call my heart awake. Not my spirit, but my soul, my glory. And if we all manifested the presence of who we are, do you know what? You wouldn't be able to look at each other. Because if we manifested the true presence of who we are, risen in Christ, the glory of God that dwells in us would be so great that we'd all fall flat on the floor in each other's presence. But that, it might, if it's happened at home, pick yourself up when God's finished with you. Just leave, stay where you are. But in here, yeah, we're all sitting here quite happily, aren't we? Well, some of you look fed up because I'm still talking. But, you know, but you know, we don't walk into each other's presence and go, whoa. I spoke to somebody yesterday who's a friend of a friend, happens to be a vicar somewhere else in the country. We talked to each other, and I said a few things to her, and she went, whoa, I can, f whoa. And I sort of went, oh, hang on, what can I feel? And we were 100, 200 miles apart. But we could sense each other's presence in the Spirit. Not because we're both amazing Christians, but because that's just the reality. I better not tell you what we were talking about because it's one of the complaints that's been made about me because I talked about it. And she just went, oh, of course that's what's going on. Of course that's the problem here. Well, it's classic conversation. I had no idea what I was saying, Really? Don't tell the story because I want to look good. I'm just telling you, we, you know, there are moments, but we need, oh, if, only we, if only we could walk into Tesco or flipping Longdis or somewhere and just the presence of God in us was just manifest and people just went, wow, what have you got? What's going on with you? Tell me. That which uh, that is awake in us needs to call to the rest of our being to awaken the heaven reality. I'm going to say that again. That which is awake in us needs to call to the rest of our being to awaken the uh, heavenly reality. And then the, the, the psalmist goes on. I'll sing and make melody. I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship. And... I will give thanks to you, oh sorry, awake, O harp, O lyre, I will awake the dawn. Wow. 
I'll awake that dawning of new life. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you among the peoples. It's not just worship, it's witness. We do it, we do it wherever we are. And people see. And it's rooted in God. Back verse 10. Your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God. Let your glory be over all the, work, all the earth. So we recognize our circumstances. We position, we're real before God. We position ourselves in a place of faith. And we awaken by calling to ourselves. And then we will walk in witness and worship because of God's character. Grain there. And you know what will happen then? Revival. It's all there. Everything we need for revival, everything we need to live this godly and holy life is already there. Everything we need for revival is all there and ready to go. It's like a whole bunch of potential energy. I'm in Chris's field here I'll be very careful a bunch of potential energy that needs to be released into this kinetic energy so that it will happen end of physics it's the end of my physics anyway that's to do but it, it's pent up it's ready it's held there and it just needs us to be positioned and ready to go do you know what I'm going to take one step oh look that wasn't I won't go any further or I'll be among the congregation without a mask on so I better stop just one step. It's a cue for a song for some of you. Revival doesn't come when we are awake. Revival comes before we're awake, while we're waking up, and after we've woken up. It's all of the above. It's messier than we think it is. I was watching... Um, I think it's the, the most recent David Attenborough thing. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Anybody been watching it in here? Just you. The Perfect Planet, is it? And there was one about a river in the center of Africa. I can't, I can't even remember which country it was in. And these birds were nesting in the riverbank. And the holes, they looked like little flats. <laughs> these holes in this riverbank and they were there away from the alligators and away from the eagle, uh, vultures or whatever it was that was outside as well and, so, and they were safe in their little holes uh, but there'd been a drought and the riverbank suddenly collapsed and of course half the birds just went <laughs> the alligators were pleased because suddenly these you know Meals on wheels, you know, here it came. Delivered, you know, take, suddenly takeaway was there. They didn't have to go looking for it because they came down. And the Lord spoke to me through it. He said, we're like those birds. And actually, where we live and the, the time we live in is in drought, spiritually. And those birds, as we, are the, we are those birds, and we think we're safe. But only two lots of birds survived. The third lot didn't. The third lot was sort of in, sort of in, their, in their nest, but not really, and on the edge, and, and, and they went down. The ones that were really safe were the ones that were pressed right in. Because, of course, when the bit of the riverbank went down, it left a bit of the riverbank behind, and you could still see the, those that had built their nests deeper in 
we're safe. If we go deeper into God, we're in a safe place. The other ones that were safe were the ones that were ready to fly as soon as the thing collapsed. Those, of, those that went, oh, what's going on? They took them down. But those that went, ah, oh, and just disappeared. Now, they still had to deal with the vultures, and there were still predators out there, but they lived because they flew. The ones that trusted in their nest but didn't go deep enough died. The ones that went deeper in were safe, and those that were willing to fly were also safe. And I believe that's a picture for us as we go into revival. The Lord is taking away a lot of the nest. The tsunami thing, he's taking away a lot of what we thought was solid ground. He's taking away a lot of the stuff in which we've had false security. He's taking away a lot of things. Not to harm us, but for those who are deeper into him, they're safe. And those that are willing to fly are safe. Because you know what the ones that are deeper in then do? They come out and fly because all the predators have had enough to eat, thank you very much, so now getting food is easy. Because fishing in the river when there's an alligator, uh, not a crocodile around, it's not, it's not safe. But now the, the crocodiles have had their fill. So the ones, yeah? Do I think, that for me, that's a word about the fact that we live in, in a drought and if we are not deep in or ready to fly, then what we think is a safe place may not be. I'll leave that out there. Revival strips away all our false securities. For years, revival, I think, within the church, not our church necessarily, but across the church, revival has looked like a nice man standing at the front, man standing at the front, middle-aged man, somebody in their 50s, say, with a, a, a nice, don't be offended, nice white middle-class band behind them, singing good songs, having a bit of a bless-up, uh, and that's Revival. Ah, it isn't, you know. I think we see more of revival in Black Lives Matters than we see in worship conferences. Sorry, Johnny, you know how much I love worship. I'm not, I'm not having a go. But when you see a deep, guttural call for justice, not just Black Lives Matter, but wherever, wherever it's happening, when you see that guttural call for justice, that's part of revival. Talk to, uh, we've had the privilege of talking to Jean Blanchard about the revival that happened in the Hebrides that she was part of. Hebrides, have I got that right? Yeah? Yeah. And the fact, you know, crofters, huge, horny-handed men of the soil in Scotland falling down and weeping over their sin. That's revival. People queuing up to get into church rather than the pub. That's revival. Why? Because they, they had a special anointing? No, because we had the same anointing. Why? Because they had the most amazing speakers? No, because we were just as good as they were. We've got more technology than them. We can reach more people. Why? Because people had faith and prayed and just waited on the Lord and it happened. People began to walk in who they are. And that's what we're doing. We're beginning to walk in who we are. Revival doesn't look like a white middle-class preacher and worship, neighbor, worship leader enabling a bless-up and feel-good. 
Revival is radical change in our thinking, our living, and our reality. The call for justice in movements is a sign of revival, a return to biblical truths. A stripping out of the churches is a sign of revival. An increased awareness of sin and our need for God is a sign of revival. That is 8 o'clock, not 9 o'clock, isn't it? Let's check that one. I'm coming to land, Johnny. As we come in... I want to ask you a question. Can you see the signs? Or do you just look around and see the rubbish? Now, please, we've got to be real. (laughs) We've got to recognize that. But can you see the signs of revival? Can you see the little things that are happening? Do you look at the opposition we're facing and go, isn't it rubbish, isn't it horrible, isn't it nasty? Or do you actually see, you know, the the opposition is so strong, this might just be revival. That's what, that's what I'm holding on to. It's so strong. It's so... Bleh. The enemy's that rattled by us. But we're only the people God made us to be with Jesus Christ dwelling in each one of us and therefore we have the power of God. Hmm. We're not only, are we? We're amazing sons and daughters of the living God. We're amazingly powerful not because of us, but because of Jesus. Revival will manifest around us as we allow God to transform us, the church. Not renewal of the church, we've had enough of that, but the revival of the kingdom of God manifest on earth. And it's, do you know what? If we go in deeper, and if we're ready to fly like those birds, it's going to be very, very inconvenient for us and our very very nice way of life we're going to have to not earn what we think we ought to earn we're going to have to not socialize in the way we think we're allowed to socialize because if we're serious about God it's going to be inconvenient it's going to be extraordinarily inconvenient it's going to be costly to our flesh to everything that we like It's going to be highly sacrificial. Do you know how I know? Because you just need to look at the cross. But if we want to see revival, it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be costly. It's going to be sacrificial. Do you want to see revival? Do you want to see kingdom come on earth as in heaven? I mean, how many times you prayed that prayer? And how many times have you meant it? Often we mean kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Lord, would you make everything nice, please? Would you make everything the way we want it to be, please? If you want kingdom on earth, it won't be the way you want it. and It won't be the way I want it. But boy, will it be fun. Will it be exciting? Will it be fulfilling? Will it be every costly and inconvenient and painful? As we worship, let's cry out to the Lord. Because he wants to see his kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Do you know how I know? Because that's what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And if Jesus wanted his disciples to pray, it must be what Jesus wanted. And if Jesus wanted it, he only did what he saw the Father doing. 
Therefore, the Father wants it. As we worship, will you cry out? I just need to do one thing. You can start up, Johnny. I'll talk over here. Fine. <laughs> but there's one thing we need to do. If you're at home or you're here, just do something. I don't need to see it. Just put a hand out, put two hands out, put them on your knees, put as a sign that you, you want to receive from the Lord. You can close your eyes, you can open it. Just something that between you and the Lord, you know what's going on. And I'm just going to declare a couple of things over us. They're not things necessarily that I think I need, though I do need some of them. They're just things I sense the Lord wants to speak over us, and he wants to speak healing over us. We're coming to that time where this this whole healing thing, the whole healing wells, the whole thing, it's, it's, there's going to be an outpouring of healing. So I declare over you now, children of God, sons and daughters of the most loving Father, receive healing for your disappointment. Receive healing as you grieve your loss. It's not just people. It might be the loss of a relationship, the loss of a job, the loss of a house. You know what we grieve. Receive healing. <sighs> Receive healing in your lungs. Receive, he receive healing in your breathing. Our word is that we will get that, we will be able to breathe again, that bit from Acts. Receive that healing that opens up the airwaves, that opens up the lungs. That thing that causes asthma, out in Jesus' name. The thing that causes lung cancer, get out in Jesus' name. Receive healing into your very blood. Whether your iron is low or the platelets are low or whatever it is, receive healing into your blood. The blood of Jesus cover you now. And I declare over every one of you and over the whole of our church, our, our family here, that we have hearts and lungs and livers and kidneys and all the organs, I declare a renewing of our physical well-being. I declare healing. Healing of sight, of hearing. I call you up. Bodies awake. Awake in the spirit. Be healed. Be whole. 